and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week, we're sitting vigil. Mm, but not for very long, because we're going to explode. Mm-hmm. I don't want to explode. Before we get into this week's episode, how was your week? My week was actually fairly quiet, but very accomplished. I got a lot of work done. How was your week? My week was good. Uh, busy weekends. I'm prepping to go out of town this upcoming weekend, and so I do more work than normal mm-hmm. on the weekends. And today has been a long day. Tomorrow will be a long day. Wednesday will be a long day. Hopefully, at that point, I will be caught up. <laughs> so we'll see yeah, how it goes. It will be um, that you're going to have a vacation at the end of it, which is great. I am, and I'm very much looking forward to it. I bet. So, uh, yes, we have a roommate who has come up on the show before who has a new diet, and I don't know if you all know, but when somebody has a new diet, sometimes that's all they can talk about. Well, yes, um, and I'm really suspicious of the new Think diet. Think about your vegan friends. It's worse because it's all meat all the time. <laughs> okay. Although there was a really um, remarkable meatloaf that was Meatloaf there. was good. Meatloaf is good. And now, this was a meatloaf that But I don't need to be told that the meatloaf is going to solve all of my health problems and also uh, any, uh, you know, emotional problems I may have residual. I will never need to take a Benadryl again. I will will get off my antidepressants. Uh, I'll be able to fly to the moon of my own accord. (laughs) It's just... Stop. <laughs> I didn't hear the last one, but I don't doubt it's oh a possibility. Apparently carnivores can do everything. Everything. Mm-hmm. You don't have inner ear problems anymore. You don't have allergies anymore. You don't I have pain anymore. I'm going to... You, your third eye opens to the meat god, I, and you I pray think before that him forever. It, it, <laughs> I, I believe at some point, possibly when she gets a massive case of indigestion, and I... I, I well, whatever the right. meat version of the empacho and I, I is. Think, right. <laughs> I think that um, part of the issue is that there's so many people encouraging this lifestyle. Maybe. And so I've been sent a swarm You mean of, on YouTube? Uh, um, you, you mean non-medical professionals? Well, these are people who claim to be medical professionals. The only so, doctor who has ever uh-huh. uh, supported the carnivore diet mm-hmm. was stripped of his medical license. So well, I can't speak to the authenticity of the ones that she sent me messages for, but I think that she's a little overenthusiastic now. It's and a lot, y'all. It's, it's a lot. I need a break. Yes, I know. <laughs> uh, and please, if a diet is working for you and it is making you feel better in whatever ways, more power to you, but I promise you, if you are an evangelizer of that diet, all of your friends don't want to hear about well, it. I think the, the the most amusing part was having a conversation about we were on a walk and having a conversation with her about it. And uh, when I said that it's getting to be a bit much, her first response was, well, that's what they told me people would say. I said, but they you, literally warned you against right. talking about it like this, and you did it anyway. The first rule of carnivore is that you don't talk, you don't about, talk carnivore. about carnivore. The first rule of carnivore is apparently you talk about it, and that's all you talk yeah, about. Yeah, I, I, I've just gotten to the point in my life where I don't feel strange eating a salad for lunch, and now this happens. 
And just as a fat person, Mm -hmm. if I started eating the way that she's eating three years ago, I would have heard how bad for me it was from her. So Mm. I I can't. Right. I I can't with her and the diets. I just can't. And so I I look forward to this weekend where for three whole days Mm. I won't have to hear about meat at all. Y'all, I love meat and I can't take it. Okay. I will leave her alone. I do hope that it works for her. Yeah, I hope I do. she doesn't die of a horrible heart attack. That's I hope that the, like, her, her her arteries remain unclogged and her health only gets better. That is my hope for her. But also All right. You want to talk about this episode? I want to talk about this episode. Okay, y'all. Nick, we hardly knew ye, and now you have died. And it's almost like nothing even happens. Uh, We watched episode six of the 2021 uh, adaptation of The Stand, Mm -hmm. entitled, as we said before, the Vigil, originally airing on January 21st of this year, 2021, written by Jill Killington and Knate Nately, the same people who wrote the last episode, also directed by Chris Fisher, who directed the last episode. And I will say the last episode was a much bigger mess than mm. this episode was. Uh, I think this episode is actually a pretty good episode. Right. Uh, we do. Uh, I thought the trash can man would appear when we went to Vegas. He, he uh, We had to go to Vegas for the trash can man to appear. And he opens our episode this time by blowing up what looks like a nuclear silo, but I don't think actually is, uh, and masturbating to the explosion, which yeah, you sure love. Is. It's your favorite thing. Yeah, sure. Although, I know that you don't like that. I know that it's you just, hate... It's a it's a cliche, and it's also gross. I don't. It is it. a cliche, and uh, it is gross, but also, honestly, I'm I would sure, argue... Yes. It's fitting yeah, for this sure character. I, I, again, remember how much masturbation and incest I had to watch with Mr. Mercedes. Yes. And but so I'm like, I'm if kinda, you have somebody who is uh, an arsonist of this particular caliber, mm-hmm. and Trash Can Man is played here by Ezra Miller, uh, elsewhere you might see him as The Flash or Kevin, whom we need to speak about. Right. <laughs> and uh, he is... Doing the goddamn most of this. Now, I actually like this portrayal. Right. For me, I like that Lloyd was like, I don't think this is our dude. Right. Because this guy's going to make some explosions happen, but we have no control over when or where right. that's going to be, uh, which does, in fact, turn out to be the case. There's an old term, loose cannon. Loose right? cannon. The loosest. Here. He's the loosest of cannons. You just rolled across the deck and shot your own ship. That's yeah. kind of what the problem is. So he heads towards Vegas. Lloyd walks him through the tower of fucking that we were in last time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is uh, there's a My Life For You mm-hmm. scene. And, you know, Flag seems, you know... Enthused, I guess. Here's the thing. Skarsgård um, has no personality in this at all. This is kind of what the issue was, and we talked to the self-same carnivorous roommate about this, um, is that 
And she's not familiar with True she's Blood. She's not seen True Blood. So she's wondering every episode why... She also why. hasn't seen Big Little Lies, which right. she also does a charming sociopath. Right. And in this... Uh, and she just brings it up. He's like styrofoam. There are Every time she watches the episode, she's thinking of another actor who could do the part better. Yeah. And part of the issue that I'm having is that he could do the part better, and I'm guessing it's the direction, as we've mentioned before. I, yeah, and the writing. I think the vacant. writing is pretty... We're not also given a lot of time with him. We're not. This scene, this this episode, we have his scene with Trash Can Man, and we have a scene with Bobby Terry. Now, mm. let's talk about Bobby Terry. Bobby so, Terry? Uh, Flag tells Lloyd, you need to bring the judge to me unharmed. Mm-hmm. It's that seems relatively simple Not unharmed, actually. Alive. Alive. It's just alive. And then, and, and Lloyd's like, my men aren't exactly pre- precision uh machines or whatever and I'm like well get better men then like and then we see the great Clifton Collins Mm -hmm. Jr. A a face you see and you say first of all as he's strutting through Vegas Mm -hmm. I I would trust this dude way more than I trust Lloyd right but this is Bobby Terry he's being brought to us because he has shot Judge Ferris in the face and killed her. We saw her looking out a window, mm-hmm. and then we see him coming in, and then we see her body in a body bag. We right. do not see the death of Judge Ferris, which is a thing that you see mm-hmm. in the in the previous version. Uh, version. My thought might was that maybe COVID led to them having to recut this I can in believe a way. that, but I can also believe that that it was just done off screen because there wasn't much care put into that part of it. Um, they've made some really strange choices with this adaptation, and this could very well be one of them. Uh, but yes, uh, giving the benefit of the doubt, it, you could say that this off screen death for an important character who did not get nearly enough screen time for how important she was uh, was because of the sort of juggled project, uh, production schedule. Yes. Um, so we so Flag is in these. So Scarscard as Flag is in the scene with Ezra Miller mm-hmm. as Trash Can Man saying we need fire, and he's trying to ferret out this last spy because uh-huh. he knows there's a third, and it's just the Moon Man. He is in the scene with Bobby Terry where he's like. I fucking said alive. Mm-hmm. And this is an old woman, and you couldn't contain her in any way other than to shoot her in her fucking face. <laughs> which, yeah, good fucking point. To which Bobby Terry flips him off and then runs away down and catches the because elevator. Bobby Terry's an adult. I don't know where he thinks he's gonna go. Right. So he gets to the elevator, he gets in, the door closes. On Alexander Skarsgård, Bobby Terry flips him off. Then he's in the elevator, glass elevator, glass elevator, y'all. At which point he looks down and Alexander Skarsgård, uh, Randall Flagg, is sitting in the bottom of the elevator with him. And then he proceeds to um, eat him. He appears to pull out his heart at some point. He he's does. walking away with something. He walks heart. away with his heart. He says there are worse things than crucifixion. There are teeth. And then he 
dismantles this man. <laughs> when the elevator opens, there's blood everywhere, there's intestines everywhere, and yeah, Skarsgård mm. has his heart in his hand. Uh, so that didn't go super well. The no. bummer. I like that actor. Well, he got all of three and a half minutes in this show. He also, it's it's on the public display, so all the people around, the orgy oh, yeah. is broken up for a moment while everyone's horrified. Yes. Of what he's capable of. Yes. And then he hears somebody say something about the big moon man who's in the, who's cleaning up bodies. Mm -hmm. So we have seen Tom. It's Julie, right? Julie Lowry is the one I who I think it is Julie with. who says it. Yeah. We've seen Tom. He's got the note from Dana, and he sees the same word written on a piece of machinery. Mm -hmm. And he gets someone to tell him what that word on the machinery is. Not the word on the note, which is actually very smart for Tom. Mm -hmm. Very cunning. I enjoy it. And she tells him, it says run. She's like, you really can't read it, huh? Like, Gives him a little shit. Not too much, but a little bit. You said that was Fiona. Uh, was it Fiona? Yeah. Uh, Fiona Dourif. Yes, Brad Dourif's daughter. Another person who can absolutely grind out a, a gut-wrenching performance. is very. There are two people who are so intense that I I can't imagine what it's like being around them doing a performance when they're just sort of you know, walking through broken glass to get to a. She's also the, she was the um, MC in last the mm -hmm. last episode with the big hat right. thing. I, I think the other part I remember her from is that in one of the uh, one of the uh, purge yes programs. She played a woman who converts young people to a suicide cult. Good leader Tavis. Yes, she's very good. Yes, she's also in the Tenant movie. Tenant. When Tom understands what this thing says, he ends up he's he's been given the keys to uh like a body truck it's full mm -hmm. of dead bodies that they're gonna cart out from the gladiator pit yeah. and he buries himself inside of it and he goes on the run. Do we see anything after we know he's in the back of that no, thing? No, I don't believe so. So that's the lot. And then I think it comes to a stop. Mm -hmm. And then I don't think we go back to him. So he is heading out. But he there's a lot of... We see him, like, a lot of people coming. But then he has buried himself in with the bodies. Right. And he has carted out and away from Las nobody's Vegas. nobody's going to look there until they need Right. To. And there are two... Um, people in the truck that are driving him out. So this is very different than what happens to Paul or to Tom in the previous mm -hmm. uh, miniseries. He's when he is um, able to leave on a bike. Uh, so this is traumatic and horrible. But I am my fingers are crossed that his fate is similar to that in the book and the previous miniseries, and he is going to be okay. We'll find out. So far, I don't think they've made really major changes like that. They've made well, changes I mean, they totally changed Las Vegas. Right, they changed Las Vegas, <laughs> but I mean in terms of characters that you're expecting to survive. To survive yeah. or die, yeah, no, that's true. So, that's basically what happens in Vegas. That's the Vegas sort of... Part of the story. Part of this episode. The other half of it, we found Mother Abigail. She's in the woods. 
She's gone. Oh, there is a scene between Abigail and Flag, and that actually might be the best that Skarsgård is in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, she has gone out to I don't know atone for her sins, I guess, because she thinks God isn't speaking to her anymore, and she apologizes for whatever has upset him. Which, like I said last week, that was really not an apology. That's yeah. not. That doesn't mean anything. Uh, and. We we get some scenes between Harold and Nadine wherein they still are antagonistic towards each other. Harold wakes Nadine up and is like, what has he told you that he hasn't told me? Because he's sad that he's not in the loop with Randall Flagg because, yo, you're just a tool. You're a means to an end. He does not need you once you've done what you're going to do. Uh... And the plan is there is going to be a vigil. Uh, oh, they have not found Mother Abigail. She is missing. They mm-hmm. are doing uh, round-the-clock searches. Ray is pissed off at Nick because Nick is not taking part in the searches. I don't know how helpful Nick is going to be I, if you're going to the woods and yeah. calling out and hoping you're going to hear something. Because um, I don't know if you know this or not, Ray, but Nick can't hear anything. Yeah, so... I felt that... <laughs> Some of her... I think she just needs more sleep. I think she's tired. Her anger was justified maybe against some of the others because she her thing was, this is her... your ha- Her, Mother Abigail's hand-picked team, is not doing enough to look for her. And she's being antagonized well, by Harold there. as well. Right, yes, she is. Harold is, is picking at her, and she... I love the fact that she leaves and she tosses an indigenous profanity at them that yeah, I want to know what it means. Yes, she does. Like, it's I not your the... business. If you don't get it, you don't get it. It's not yeah. for you. Um, so Stu's been on rounds but mm-hmm. is taking a mandatory break because Glenn has instituted mandatory breaks because he understands that exhausted people are not going to have a better yeah, exactly. luck finding this woman. Franny is not out in the search because she is heavily pregnant at this point. And it's getting very cold. They also believe that she may not have survived because it is very cold and mm-hmm. she is a very old lady. Very old. Um, we're getting, I guess, towards winter in Colorado where uh, it gets very, very yeah. cold at Hotels night. Hotels get snowed in all year, I hear. It's true. Uh, <laughs> it turns out that's right. Um, and yes, Harold is sort of injecting himself into the search as well, but. Uh, also, they are so. So, what they are planning to do is, um, the following evening or that evening, they are going to have a vigil at the house at Mother Abigail's house, which is the house where Joe was playing piano. So, I still don't know how Nadine just walked in, but that's mm. fine. Uh, in the previous episode, never underestimate Nadine. Yeah, no, she just can appear where she needs to appear. And the plan is then is now we can blow up not just Mother Abigail. Well, she won't be there. Not just her five chosen, but maybe the whole ass town. Mm. Uh, So that is going to be the plan. And Harold brings over. Is it Harold that brings it over? Or is it Nadine that brings it over? I think Nadine brings over Mm. a bunch of cards. Yes, it's Nadine. She brings over a bunch of cards made by the kids wishing that Mother Abigail would come back 
And she's going to place them around the house so that everybody who's at the vigil can see them. It's a very odd conceit, like a very weird I know, but it seems like the, the kind of thing that people do when they don't have a uh, channel or, uh, of their, for their grief. Maybe. They do strange and unusual things that they find themselves... It's like well, the kids ask that I put them in every right. room. So she's come over with this bag of things that she's yeah. going to put out in every room. And she also has a... It's a poster tube, basically, like mm-hmm. a mailing tube. And that has a uh, bomb in it. Mm-hmm. And she puts that next to the piano. And uh, at this point, I believe Larry asks uh, if Joe is going to come back to the vigil or for the vigil. And Nadine prickles at the idea that Joe would be there. So she still has some protection thoughts mm-hmm. about this child. Uh, this is a thing that did not happen in the first miniseries. There was no connection yeah. with her and kids in the first miniseries. And uh, in this one, she's like, don't you remember the vigils we had when people first started getting sick? They're going to, all of these kids think of be super as vigils, yeah, as vigils, yeah, are super spreader events. They, mm-hmm. they would go to a vigil where for people who were sick, come home, and then their families would get sick and die. So yeah, she actually presents a logical response for yes. why it shouldn't be done or Which why Joe shouldn't be done. She's made up. Yes, of course. <laughs> and, but Franny is like, we didn't even think about it. I guess, um, you know, because we're not parents, the children are really, really lucky to have you. I feel like Franny says that her face says, I don't believe what I'm saying. Her voice says, I don't believe what I'm saying. I can't tell if Franny believes what she's saying. Well, again, this Franny is much more cunning than the Frannies of the past. Right, but she also, I don't think, knows... She she's very she knows that some, some something's up with Harold, right? right. She knows and by association, they did, I think. I don't because know. Because Joe, not Joe, I'm sorry, Larry, when uh, Nadine fails in her seduction, one of the reasons why is he just goes, aren't you living with, with Harold? Like, aren't you two together? They and aren't even living together, are they? Well, or did they, they were, do... I think he made the association with them as a couple, so it might be something that's known around, at least. Okay, yeah, because, maybe. Because, and also, um, Franny interrupted them right after sex. Oh, that's right. So, they're, that's right. They're, she's, Franny's, Franny's not adult, she's putting two and two together. Right. But they aren't living together, because Nadine's living with Joe, and Harold is not living in the same house that Joe okay. is living in. Um, Harold's house with the lock on the door. Uh, that's where Franny's going to go. She can't go into the woods to look for Mother Abigail, but she can go to Harold's house and that would be now the that best she knows that Harold it. is with right. with uh, Stu out looking for Mother Trying Abigail. Trying to kill Stu, apparently. Yeah. So there's that scene. Uh, Stu and Harold out in the woods where uh, Stu is, has his back to Harold, which, uh, don't do that. And Harold has his gun pointed at Stu. And, don't uh, do that either. D- d- don't do that. And... Harold does nothing because that's Harold's M.O. And uh, they, there's like this standoff that's not even a standoff because one person doesn't know it's happening. Right. And I think that what we learned about Harold is that he's incapable of... I mean, he won't even shoot Stu in the back. Yes. His only act of uh, violence is an act of terrorism. He's not really doing it. And we'll get to that later where he's not even the guy pushing the button. It's his, he suffers from an emotional impotence. He can't manage to get anything done, and he doesn't see that. Like, he could, again, we know that he could elevate himself and do good with other people helping him, but he just refuses that, but he's not good at doing anything on his own either. 
He doesn't want to operate as part of a team. He doesn't want to operate alone. It, yeah, he's just pathetic all the way around. Yeah. Yes. Um, although I will say he has a very good scene coming up. And that mm-hmm. scene is when, so Franny goes to Harold's house and just he, she stands outside the locked basement door and she's like, I'm busted if I break it in. And she's like, but if I'm right, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And she says that over and over again, which I actually really like. I'm like, right. that's true. If you're wrong, you're very wrong. And like, you right. deserve what you're getting. If you're right, it doesn't matter. Right. You need to do this. So she breaks the she breaks the door. She goes downstairs. She finds, well, the first thing she sees is a monitor with her bed on it, which is probably horrifying to her. Yeah. And then she has enough presence of mind, even after that's the first thing she sees, to see to find his little manifesto, which of course opens with Sartre, hell is other people, and then a quote by himself that he notates as by himself, which is fucking weird. I have written many things in many journals, and never have I then wrote a dash and my own ass name. That is crazy. (laughs) Um, And then he finds, and then she also finds some pipe bombs. Mm -hmm. And with that, Harold comes home, because of course he does. (laughs) And this, I think, is the best scene that Harold has done. I don't like that we're centered around Harold. I don't, I don't like, like that, that he's the main character of this whole ass show so far. But this is the best scene that he's done where he basically is like, I've lo- uh, you're the only person I've ever loved. I knew that I'd never get you unless I was the last man on earth. And then I was. Mm-hmm. I was. I Everything's coming up, Harold. And then, and then, this, what does he call him? Uh, this happy... What did he call him in that in the previous one? I don't I don't remember. I don't remember. But it was like this something about like his smile and his dimples came and took everything everything away from him. Even though Franny said in no uncertain terms, I don't like you like that, right. and I never fucking will. Uh, and. He's like, you know, this was supposed to be my adventure, my story, and I'm going to fix the whole world. One blast of violence, one pointed stroke of cruelty to set the world right. It's a good scene. It's well written. Mm -hmm. He does very well. Franny looks suitably terrified. And then because Stu can't finish anything, he just locks Franny in the basement. Uh, Presuming that apparently she'll just die in there well, or just stay there until she's locked in place as he sees it as a pregnant woman yeah I guess until right. after the plan because he's gonna bail he's leaving town he's leaving he's, they were fixing to leave town as soon as right. the explosion happened which is this evening like mm-hmm. it's moments away right. right like this is probably an hour beforehand right and he locks her in there uh, meanwhile uh, Larry has gone home has a weird interaction with Nadine who then drives off, leaving him with a walkie-talkie with no batteries on it. So right. on across town from where Mother Abigail's house is and where the vigil is going to be, now we have Larry without a walkie, so he can't warn anybody about what's going on, and Franny without access to anything, presumably stuck mm. in this basement. Now, Franny climbs up on a table, breaks out a window, climbs out, and then runs her ass across Boulder. So... 
Good job, Franny. Yeah, this is a much more powerful Franny than we gotten before. Yes. Uh, so this the Larry scene with Larry and Nadine. Uh, Nadine is dropping Joe off with Larry. The, a bunch of other kids are there mm-hmm. too. They're watching. Was it Time Bandits? Yes. Uh, and watching David Warner talk about how evil he is, and that seemed to be pretty funny. That was an interesting choice. And before Joe goes in to watch TV, he goes up to Larry and he whispers, this is the first words that we've ever heard him speak, mm-hmm. and those words are, Nadine and Mommy Nadine are two different people. And that was a really good choice. I have to say, this episode really ups the game for the entire miniseries. Yeah. It, does, it brings things to a dramatic head, and you can't help it if you have any investment with these characters at all. It's going to bring it all to a dramatic point where you're going, okay, what's going to happen next? Yeah. So Nadine takes off. Nadine and Harold are up on a hill. I don't know if it's at the amphitheater mm. or just a park overlooking Boulder. Right. And they have the walkie that they have left with, I believe, in the piano. Um, is, is is the other side of the walkie, which is also a detonator. Um, Joe is watching the movie, and he hears Mother Abigail's voice, and he goes out into the woods, and he finds her, and he screams, bringing other people mm-hmm. to attention right. to, go, to, to come get her. We hear... Um, there's commotion outside of Mother Abigail's house and people are started to sort of file out because there's breaking up over the thing. We found her. We've got her. We found her. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're going to head, they're heading out. We've got Franny running towards the thing yelling, there's a bomb, there's a bomb. Right. We've got Harold's voice um, coming out of the piano saying, I hear louder, I do this of my own free will. And Nick is the only one left in the the, the house. And he's coming up through the house and he goes to the piano and he opens it up and he sees the situation. He looks up and that's when the explosion happens. And we just, and from the outside, we see the explosion, which takes out the house and people are engulfed in flame. This thing was a violent explosion. And um, Franny and Stu are knocked to the ground. And everyone waits till next week till we find out what happens yeah, because that's it, the end. That right. is how it ends. Uh, Nadine and Harold had pushed the detonator at the same time. They did it together. So once again, he couldn't even do that. Mm. I think it, um, <laughs> it was the best of the episodes dramatically that I've seen so far. I think so. Because it had a lot to do. There was a lot to be done with the characters. We're losing a major character. We lose a major character. But honestly, though... Mm-hmm. We're gaining another character that's going I, to be very important. We have not gotten nearly enough. We've gotten, what, 10 minutes of Nick in this whole thing? I, I so, think, yeah, he's a major character, but I do I not feel sad that, that he's there's gone. there's a lack of investment with the characters. We've spent so much time with Harold. Yeah. So much time with Nadine. And I think next to them, we've spent more time with Franny and Larry than we have with any of the other characters. Yeah, even Stu, we don't Stu really... Is, I mean, Stu is like a supporting member you know of the cast. You Glenn was my favorite. But uh, our carnivorous friend mm-hmm. also brought up 
the styling of Ezra Miller's Trash Can right. Man and how he is like a an anti-Nick. Right. The way that Nick looks in this thing and the way that Trash look, looks in this thing, they're very similar. They yeah. are like opposite sides of the coin. Right-hand man both, kind mm-hmm. of. I mean, right. Trash Can Man can't really be a right-hand man because... He doesn't have what you might call um, logistical skills. Right. <laughs> That's not his thing. But something, someone of import to the plans. Although, and now, is Mother Abigail going to be able to spy on her little group now? No, because Nick is gone. Uh, well, Nick's death should mean something, though. And I think that we were given she, enough Shufrani time to... does get there right. in time to, that they're starting yeah. to pull people out, but the explosion is so big yes, that there, there, there are several a, deaths outside of there. His death should mean something in that when we saw the original, or the not the original, the first adaptation, we spent a lot of time getting to know this character so that his loss is a real tragedy. And this one, I don't feel like we've spent enough time. We're sorry for him because he's one of the good guys and because he's formed this really great relationship. Uh, with a character that's looked down on by everybody else, but um, but yeah, it, it, I I wish there was more time. I wish they had invested more energy into defining our heroes really well. The only one who gets, as we mentioned, Larry gets it, and uh, Franny gets it, um, and I really appreciate how Franny is in this particular episode too. The last two episodes, she's shown a degree of agency. And planning that she, we, I haven't seen in the other adaptation. And it makes her a more compelling character, but it seems like it's at the expense of Stu having anything to do. Stu's kind of just a good-natured adult. Just adult. Who, who managed not to get shot in the back of the head. Today. Through no so, actions of his own. No. No. I don't know. I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not a violent person, but if I was Harold, I probably would have shot Stu in the head in this episode. Like, I don't... I, uh, yeah, yeah I, I just I, I don't know if there's some attempt to like appeal to a segment of the audience that identifies with Harold frustrated uh, sexually I don't young know man. it is such an odd thing to center uh-huh. that character right. in 2020 as the le- mm-hmm. and, and here's the thing if this is faithful he dies in the next episode right. he doesn't make it to the end no he doesn't so, what are we doing? Yeah. What are we doing? I don't, it's, the choices are so baffling to me. Very, very baffling. All right. <laughs> so, that's the whole episode. Next week, we're going to watch The Walk, which is written by Owen King, oh. son of Stephen King. How many, you may have heard of him. How many kings are there? Mm, I believe there are three, three sons kings? and a daughter. All right. Uh, don't do that. Don't make a three kings joke. I, I didn't. I didn't say that at all. <laughs> Stephen King. How many kids you got? Three. Joe, who goes by Hill. Owen, who goes by King. And he's got a daughter who is a lesbian and a priest. Okay. <laughs> She's both of those things. She's going big. Uh, yeah, that's what I know about her. She's, I think, an Episcopalian. I think they do call them priests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and also a, in a lesbian relationship, at least. In a, in a relationship with a woman. 
So that's his kids. Um, yeah, so we're going to watch The Walk, where I presume People they're going to walk. Okay. I believe this is where Larry and Glenn and Stu and Kojak mm-hmm. head out. You haven't seen it from Kojak either. No, or Kojak. Please. Until then. Do you have anything you want to recommend? You know, I haven't been up on stuff lately. Um, I haven't been able to. I think we're just finishing the Mysterious Benedict Society. Um, I'm revisiting. These are all things I've recommended in the past. I know, yeah. I'm going back to uh, trying to trying to get through, and it's very entertaining. The Magnus Archives. I was going to say, I'm mm-hmm. getting. I'm I'm in the fifth epi- or fifth season, and I'm. Really closing in on the end, and it is very fun and very right. good. So I haven't really um, explored anything new. What have you been up to? Literally just the Magnus Archives. That's mm. I'm, I've listened to like like maybe nine or ten hours of the Magnus Archives in the last week because I'm mm. I just got on a binge of this is what I want to listen to. So uh, I haven't really been watching anything. I haven't really been reading or listening to other right. things. Oh, you know what I will recommend? Um, I haven't listened to any episodes of it. Oh, okay. So it's a blind recommendation. It's a blind recommendation, sort of. Today's episode of Overdue, which is a podcast that I have recommended mm-hmm. in the past and will re- continue to recommend, was a crossover with a podcast about romance novels called Heaving Bosom, the Heaving Bosom oh, podcast. One of my favorite And things. the episode was so fun that I... Um, and those two, the two women that do mm. that podcast were so funny to listen to that I subscribed to that podcast today, but I have not listened to any of them. But if you want to listen to two girls talk about books where there are sometimes some sex, there's a lot of swearing, and one of them laughs very heartily and snorts regularly, uh, I recommend the healthy. Heaving Bosom like it. podcast. It was when she snorted, I think, for the third time, I was like, I have to subscribe to their podcast. Like, it was so cute and funny. I just, I was like, this is, this is audio gold. I love it so much. <laughs> so, um, I'm going to recommend that blindly. Like I said, there's 199 episodes. Wow. So, they've been doing it for a while. Um, That's a genre that I, do, or genre don't that I don't understand at all, but... It, it, yeah, it's one of those things where people are really devoted to them. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. And That's okay. I don't, you don't understand have to. the appeal of it. No, I'm saying it's you not don't for have you. to. I, you know, <laughs> some people don't. I spent the last couple of weeks watching uh, Kaneko, all of his Gamera movies Gamera Guardian of the Universe, Gamera mm, uh, Legion, and Gamera The Revenge of Iris, or Return of Iris, I forget. But I'm watching movies about a, a giant killer turtle, fire breathing turtle that uh, rescues the Earth from space bats. So I understand that there are niches that uh, other people would appreciate that I love, and there are things that I also do not understand the appeal of. I understand the appeal of heaving bosoms personally. However, I don't understand um, the appeal of reading about them in culture. I don't. But, uh, yeah. That sounds like a lot of fun. It was. It's I'm, fun. I've it never fun. read any of these books. I remember... Um, this one was about a werewolf 
Mm-hmm. Oh my God! Really? And um, it was a historical fiction uh, murder mystery werewolf. Like it had a lot of stuff going. On. I remember when I worked at Holmes Book Company, we used to have these huge bins where we discarded stuff that we couldn't sell in our regular inventory, and they were mostly paperbacks and things. And um, there were a lot of romance novels, and we'd sell them um, three for a dollar, or four for no three for a dollar. It was very odd. And at lunchtimes, we would get this flock of secretaries come by. Mm-hmm. And they would just buy stacks and stacks and stacks of them. And there was this one young woman. She was lovely, I remember. Smitten with her. And she was one of the local secretaries from the office buildings, probably from American President Lines. And she would buy just stacks of Barbara Cartland. I don't know that. Person. And when I asked her... Um, I didn't I didn't say it in a bad way, right? Barbara Cartland? I don't uh, the author. Sure. Uh, she looks at me and says I've read Chekhov in Russian <laughs> and then she just sort of tosses her head and marches out I'm like, Oh, I didn't mean that to be mean, but I really wanted to understand the appeal because there was like such a massive variety of books written by Barbara Cartland. I was curious as to what was the appeal, but yeah. There is, okay. Some of the appeal about romance novels are mm-hmm. uh, there's comfort. You There's a formula. Mm-hmm. They're going to get together in the end. So there's something that you can just, there's something about just going on the ride. Mm-hmm. It's like um, Cozy Mysteries, too. It's the same kind of thing where something bad happens and then you'll, you're going to solve it. We're going to solve it gonna be fine there might be a little bit of danger but we're gonna solve it and it's gonna be fine uh and you know some body stuff in there sometimes sometimes they're closed door romances and then there's not really that's a lot what of Barbara body Cartland stuff wrote. In there. that's closed door uh, there's romances. a really interesting interview that i think i might post in response to this where robert cartland who is wearing and she's a very elderly woman at this point wearing strange makeup and costume is having a conversation with Jackie Collins and calling her a pervert for the oh, things wow. that she's publishing. And See, uh, I don't like that. It's yes, just it was very judgmental. It's like, oh it's my God. And, and Jackie Collins is responding. It's like, well, I, I, I'm not trying to revert young people. And she's like, yes, you are. My publisher told her, told me, what is Jackie Collins but Barbara Cartland without knickers? And I, <laughs> it just leads into this hysterical conversation. Um, but yeah, yeah, it, I don't understand the appeal. Uh, th- another thing, it, it's, there are genres of literature that are lost, I think. I don't think that romance novels in any way, shape, or form are. But I mean, there's things like, uh, westerns. Yeah, not Western really novels, you know, currently. and yeah. you can talk about an author who just wrote so many of them, somebody like Louis Lamore, <laughs> or Max Brand, or Varnas Fisher, <laughs> or... You know, any of these other guys, Rex Beach. Um, and they just wrote tons of these things. Zane Gray. Uh, and their entire used bookstores centered around Western, you know, Western fiction. And it's such a, a limited group now because I think we've moved so far away from the historical West. And we're also able to look at it with more critical eyes that we can't just sort of accept things that were tropes, like the demonization of the Indians or Mexicans right. or 
bandits coming across the border and stealing our women and that kind of thing. It doesn't fly anymore. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, I, that's another one where I... But you know what? What? There are Western romances currently being written. Yes, there are. We <laughs> used to, there was a series of saucy Western romances that we used to sell at homes. Um, with also, the a lot of contemporary romances uh, with cowboys in right. them, but it takes place now. <laughs> it was a historical romance. They were all um, sent around a lawman named Longarm. Okay. And his uh, six <laughs> the shooting long gun. arm of the law. <laughs> right. But uh, it, it was a double on It's his Hondra. dick. It's about yes. his dick. And then there was a uh, a female-centric version, which was even weirder because that was about a raunchy cowgirl named Jessie. girl. <laughs> a red-headed cowgirl who likes the men and she has a Asian martial arts master as her companion. Who's Man or protector. woman? Man. Okay. But they never uh, get involved with each other, but she's he's her loyal bodyguard after, I think... No, because there's still that racism against Right, there was men. that. But at the same time, he gets to do some kung fu for the action fans, and she gets to show heaving bosoms and and long, luscious red hair. She's Jolene, I think. Jolene! Don't take my man! Takes your man, yeah. But, God, yes, and there were so many books in that series, and occasionally there's series where the two meet up and of course Longarm and Jesse have tortuous romantic oh encounters. Yeah, it's it, I was surprised by how popular that series was and these kind of hardened cowboy types would come into our store and buy armfuls of them. So it's it's not restricted to men I guess, to women. No, I guess. it is not. It is not. And good for them for buying the books. I just buy the digital copies so nobody knows what I'm reading. It's, it's smut, private. But it's private. It's smut. my smut. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, so, uh, Heaving Bosoms, if you want to listen to a girl say the word cock and then snort laugh. Okay. I recommend it. Always down for that. Uh, okay, uh, so next week we're gonna watch The Walk, Mm -hmm. and until then... Sounds like a lot of exercise. (laughs) If you have questions or comments or concerns, you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com, you could tweet at us at latecomerspod, or you could find us on Facebook... Still don't have that podcast page. We're working on it. Your smiley face emoji. Uh, They haven't offered it to me. Apparently they offer it to you. Uh, We are a small podcast. I don't see the offer coming anytime soon. So we'll see. Until then, I remind you to take your medicine. And we remind you, better late late than never. never.